Hi, everyone, and welcome to the HR Works Podcast, brought to you by HR Daily Advisor. I'm your host, Josh Zygmunt, Content Director for Simplify Media. The HR Works Podcast provides clear, relevant, and actionable information on topics that matter to you, the HR professional. When you're armed with the best practices and strategies to attract, retain, and engage top talent and deliver exceptional service to your organization, HR just works. On today's episode, we're joined by Jason Walker, Fractional Chief People Officer and co-founder of Thrive HR Consulting, a San Francisco-based HR advisory company. Jason is an HR industry expert who brings over 20 years of HR experience into his consultancy that he launched with co-founder Ray Ramirez in April of 2020. I had the pleasure of being connected with Jason and Ray as they recently contributed an article to HR Daily Advisor titled HR Trends Enabling Workplace Success in 2024, where they offered a look at some of the important future trends that HR professionals should be paying attention to in this coming year. And I enjoyed that insight so much that I just had to have Jason on the podcast and introduce to our HR audience here. So Jason, welcome to the HR Works Podcast. Thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks, Josh. I really appreciate the invite and I'm looking forward to this dialogue. This should be fun. I'm excited about it as well. Again, thank you to both you and Ray for offering up that great insight through HR Trends Enabling Workplace Success in 2024. That's that article we ran on HR Daily Advisor. It's available right now. I encourage our audience to check it out. It was a great look at some of the upcoming trends that we can be excited about in the HR community going into 2024, but knew, okay, just from that article alone, you'd be great to talk to and get you introduced to our audience here, share some insight from that article, and also just look back at 2023 and all that was this past year. So again, really excited to do that with you, Jason. But what we do to get us started with our episodes to get you introduced is share that why story. So were there any initial moments or an initial spark that led you to pursuing and building a career in human resources and people operations? Well, I think spark came from I was always really good at solving complex problems. And I realized that solving complex people problems are really the most difficult problems to solve. You can solve a difficult mechanical issue. At the end of the day, mechanical issue will in some ways bend to what you want to get done. You do the right math, you can get it done, you can get it figured out, and you can then most times get it to work out the way that you want. But with people issues, you have zero control over how people are going to react and how they're going to be motivated to do things. So for me, it was always very exciting to say, hey, can we solve these people issues? and get them to work and get them motivated to do the things that we need them to do. And to me, getting those kinds of problems solved are super exciting. And I really like those challenges just because everyone's different. And you can't really count on somebody doing something just because you're telling them to do it. You have to manage the change. You have to manage the individual. You have to manage the situation. And there's a lot to do to make that happen. You mean to say people aren't predictable? As much as you want to say that we can predict what they'll do, they'll catch you off guard. Yeah, that happens. It's happened to me once or twice in my career where, you know, I really thought we had the nail, but I really thought we had the problem solved. We go forward and then everybody rebels and you say to yourself, how did this happen? Like, I really thought that this was it. I really thought I had everything ready to go and then it doesn't work out and you're really surprised by it, but that happens and you learn from that. That's great. Now. Jason, as I mentioned at the top, you and Ray really gave us a great article from the team at Thrive HR Consulting, looking at those future trends for 2024. But as we're having this conversation at the end of 2023, I think it's a great opportunity to look back at the year that was in HR. If you could, how would you best summarize the past year for HR professionals and members of the people operations community? 
mean, it really was a year in which we just had tremendous peaks and tremendous valleys and things changed so quickly. You traditionally don't have a time. And I would say even over the last three years where things change so fast, where you just had to move so quickly to take care of things, whether that's we've had to adapt to the massive amount of hiring everybody wanted to do. And then we had to all scramble and say, oh my gosh, we're going to be laying off people. And then we've had a scramble to figure out how AI is working in HR departments. So then we've had a scramble to figure out, oh my gosh, how are we going to lay people off effectively? That was something we hadn't talked about before. How HR is going to do more with less. The last three years, companies have been building these HR departments and hiring. And now all of a sudden they're dismantling a lot of these departments. We've had to think about the fact that we've had these great diversity and inclusion initiatives, and then companies are now backing off on those diversity inclusion efforts. Literally, it's just been a lot more volatile than I can ever remember in my career. The lack of steadiness has really been noticeable, I think, for everyone. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. I would venture to guess that anyone doing the look ahead trend prediction articles in early 2023 or, or late 2022 probably missed a lot of what we ended up seeing play out in the past year. I think it was tough to predict a lot of what ended up coming down the pipeline. I had a great conversation yesterday with a few members of the HR community about how return to office has really impacted the employee experience. That's something that we really weren't talking about to the extent at the start of the year that we were at the end of the year with just seeing how many organizations are bringing teams back. I read a recent report from Resume Builder that was looking at nine and 10 companies anticipating to be back in office in 2024. And what does that do to the employee experience? What does that do to so many HR professionals that have to manage that so closely from the communication aspects to the logistics of bringing teams back to the emotional baggage that really comes with bringing teams back for employees that don't necessarily want to Volatility, I think, was a perfect term to sum that one up, Jason. Yeah, and the return to office really has turned into a very acrimonious debate between employees and management. It went from, oh, everybody's got to work from home, obviously, because of COVID and the pandemic, to it became something that people wanted to do. And now it's very acrimonious between management saying, you have to be in the office, and employees saying, no, we don't want to go into the office. And it has really become something that has, in many instances, uh, taken down some of these cultures where they've worked really hard to create these vibrant company cultures. But that one issue has really made things difficult between management and employees. Absolutely. Did anything surprise you in 2023? Was there anything that took place within HR or within the workforce that was not on your bingo card going into the year? Well, I'm really surprised by the fact that I've been seeing more and more HR teams get completely outsourced and completely taken out of the organization. That's really been surprising to me. I know that HR is a cost center. We're a GNA function. I get that. And you're always going to have to do more with less in HR. But the fact that some companies have really actively, in some instances, decimated their organizations. That has really surprised me. And then I guess to also to say the acrimony about return to work, where we're naturally telling employees, you're lazy and you're not going to get ahead and you're going to get fired if you don't come back to the office. And I'm really surprised that we got to name calling in this situation. And there's so many examples where there's been outright name calling to those people that didn't want to come back. That's really been a shock to me. 
and that we got to that point. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I couldn't agree more. I think that was one that not many of us saw coming, but it's been a prominent trend throughout the year. And certainly, like I said, from that resume builder survey, we'll see play out throughout 2024 as well. And that return to office conversation has not settled down or been completely figured out yet, but we're doing our best. With that being said, now this is where my positivity comes in, Jason. I want to celebrate those wins too. So what was the best thing you saw out of the HR community in 2023? The best thing that I saw out of the HR community was I think that HR really proved how important it was to the overall organization. I know that sounds counterintuitive to the fact that I just said some organizations are getting rid of their HR departments, but we've really had to pivot very quickly as HR teams. We've had to really make quick decisions, get policies and procedures done, make cultural decisions. And we've had to really consult with our clients and with our executive leaders and our C-suites. And I think that HR has had a really great seat at the table. And for those HR teams that have been strong, I think they've really made a difference for the companies that they've represented. So I think we've really shown and demonstrated ourselves, I think for the last several years, and especially in 2023, we've shown more than ever how important a good HR team is for an organization more than we've ever seen that before. We've seen more articles about it, more mainstream articles about it. And we have definitely, I think, risen to a different level of noticeability in a corporation than we have before. And I think that's something everybody should really take a lot of pride in. That is so well said. I'm glad you shared that, Jason. I think it's been so interesting to see that prominence of the C-suite HR member across organizations and just that renewed value of HR leadership within organizations as you're crafting the employee experience with retention, with talent acquisition being so prominent and so essential and really building the optimal employee experience to find business success, it's falling into the HR team's hands. And I think there's been some great examples of HR leadership along the way and having to adapt with a lot of these curveballs, a lot of these unexpected changes but do so to create just that optimal experience. It hasn't been easy, but I think the community has handled it very well. And it's been great to see organizations lean on and look to their HR leaders for solutions in many cases. Yeah, it's nice that we we're out of the box of, oh, they just push paper. Yes. And they just help people get hired. And that's really all that they do. And the fact that we have escaped that label and we've done so much more, I think it's fantastic for those people who are considering a career in HR who are in HR and want to keep pushing forward and making it a really dynamic part of the organization to be a part of. That is the best kind of marketing you could ask for. I love that you said too, and encouraging more talented employees to look to a future of HR and find their own spark. There's no better way than to say, yeah, you can really make an impact all the way up to the top of an organization through a career in HR. That is great. It does a lot more good than the Toby Flendersons of the world. You can carry some weight. That yeah, really, you know, we love Toby here on the HR Works podcast. But with that being said, Jason, and thank you for just sharing again that look back at 2023, I want to delve into your article a bit that you shared with HR Daily Advisor, the HR Trends Enabling Workplace Success in 2024. You gave us some great trends to look forward to in the coming year. And one stuck with me was the idea of employee feedback and real-time information it's clearly become essential uh, here at so many times in conversations with HR leaders here on the HR Work Podcast as we talk about how do you really get the employee experience. And so often I get feedback, listen, have conversations with your employees. So how do HR teams and their organizations benefit from creating that real-time feedback 
culture? Well, one of the things that is going to help benefit that is some of these new AI tools that are coming online. So we're working with a number of companies that have AI tools that are able to reach out and obtain feedback from employees faster than we've ever been able to do it before. In the past, when you wanted employee feedback, there's always been this, okay, we either have to go talk to them in person or we have to use something like Zoom Monkey and we have to then look at the feedback and then you know, do some analysis. And yeah, who knows? That takes two, three months before you figure out the problem is. And by that time, people have either given up on the problem, quit because the problem didn't get solved. But now with some of these AI tools that are coming online, we can interview hundreds, if not thousands of employees in a relatively short amounts of time. And all that feedback gets summarized very quickly into these dashboards. And then we can look at what's going on in a very immediate manner. And then we can go and solve these problems and address them much more quickly than we ever have before. So getting the feedback is still important. The fact that we can now do something about it even faster than we've ever had before is really what's going to make a difference for companies that are trying to do something important with their culture and really value the feedback. Uh, the access to data is so interesting. And I think we're finally getting our hands around how we can use data to really optimize and create actionable plans to see, okay, it, it's not just sending out that survey where you hope that the employees you're surveying will respond truthfully and take their time and give you the honest feedback. Now you can see it through engagement. You can get numbers to see, okay, how long is it taking employees to complete compliance training? How long is it taking to handle this assessment and get real-time data back that will tell you, is this working? Do we need to rethink our approach here? That doesn't require a sending of a survey and an ask of employees to carve some time out to answer these 10 questions. There's just new ways to get that information. And that's so great to see. Really interesting. We're actually finding that when we use an AI chatbot, to go out and ask an employee questions about what's going on in their job or what's going on at work. We're finding that, especially younger employees, they're actually giving more input to the AI than they to a human interviewer. They like wow. interacting with the AI better than a human. And we are in the process of one of the studies that we're working on quantifying how much we're getting with the AI than with a human interviewer. And it's quite amazing because one of the teams that we're working with, they have an AI that's very friendly and it goes out of its way to make the person they're interviewing feel like they're in a very collegial, friendly relationship with the AI. So it encourages people to, to contribute pretty heavily, but we're getting more data because of AI, not less, which you would think is really counterintuitive and that wouldn't happen, but that is what's happening. Yeah. And I think where the, the challenge for many teams, and this goes beyond just even HR teams, but with organizations who have access to that data now, what do you do with it and really take action off of that data? I think that'll be really interesting to see how that's played out and really puts a lot of the onus back into those team members to say, okay, here's the info. Now it's on you to figure out the solution. And I'm excited to see again, how teams really optimize what they now have access to. That's the age old debate. And I've been in HR for some time now. And one of the things that I would always tell the CEO or the board or the C-suite is, look, I can go ask them as many questions as you want and I can get as many answers. But if you don't like the answers and then you don't want to end up doing anything about how they answer it, 
why do we even bother? Like, we're just going to make people mad that we asked a question and we got an answer we didn't like. And we took our ball and we went home saying, we're not going to play soccer anymore because we don't like, you know, the goalkeeper or we don't like the person I was keeping score or whatever. And we walk away. So if you guys are going to make me go out and do this and I'm going to make you be accountable for the results and make you change. And when you have to make them say they're going to have to accept the change and do something, it really puts them on the line. And sometimes they'll say, no, sometimes they're like, no, we don't want to know. Like, we don't care. Let's just let it ride. And we don't want to do it. Right. Other times it'll be like, no, this is the right thing. And we're going to make the decision. We're going to get the data. We're going to swallow that bitter pill. We're going to make change. No matter what data you get, you still have to make a decision. And what are you going to do with it? If you don't do anything with it, then don't collect it. Even if AI can give you the data in 30 seconds, you still have to decide, am I going to use it? And so we'll never do that. There's the human element that's still required. We can automate as much as you can, but at some point the human has to step in and it's using that data to your advantage. I think that's going to set these teams apart going into 2024. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So with the idea of immediate feedback, And we're having this conversation again at the end of 2023. I think a lot of teams have gone through the performance review process by this point, or for any maybe late teams into the game, they'll be doing that in early 2024. How has access to data and the culture of immediate feedback, how has that changed the way we view employee review process? Does the employee performance review really matter or still work in 2024? Or have we moved past that? I never liked getting a review. I always thought that it was, basically a waste of time. And if you are a good manager or you're an organization that has good management, you are giving people feedback all along the way so that you know where you stand with your manager. And I always encourage employees and people that I'm coaching to say, ask your manager if they had to rate you right now, if it's in the middle of May, Ask them, hey, boss, if you had to rate me right now, what would you rate me? I don't want to rate you great. I would rate you poorly. Okay, well, that's a surprise. So look, if you're still one of those companies that's doing an employee performance review to save up all this critical feedback at the end of the process and tell somebody, hey, yeah, I didn't talk to you for 11 months and now I'm going to tell you all the bad things that are about you and you're going to go on a pip or you're not going to get the bonus or you're not going to get the stock that you want or whatever it is. And that's still how you're doing a performance review process. Shame on you. And it's not worth it. It's something that you shouldn't spend any time on if that's how you're still using it. You need to build in an ongoing process by which people are getting the feedback all along the way. And you need to be training your managers to do that. And it's so much better for employees when they're getting both the good and the bad feedback in a real-time basis. Look, I once had a CHRO and she said, look, bad feedback and a bad conversation with my manager is the best thing that can happen to you because you know what? You understand what's happening. You're getting the truth and we are all owed the truth. And so for me, I would rather know what the truth is. What is my place in this organization? Where do I stand? Am I going to get promoted? Do you guys want me here? And if you don't, tell me. And if you do, then tell me that. So great. If you want to summarize the year, you can do that. And if you've been giving people the right kind of feedback and everybody's very clear on what is my review going to look like at the end of the year, we're all on the same page, then you're doing a great job. If that's a surprise, everybody hates the process and literally doing something wrong and it needs to change. 
I love that. Right. It shouldn't take a once a year or biannual meeting to know how you're doing as an employee. Your employees should know all along the way how they're performing, both good and bad, and where they're struggling, so they can act on it as well. I think that idea of, of there being the end of your surprise seems so avoidable, and especially in, in a culture of real-time updates and real-time feedback. It seems like we're in a position where we don't need to go that direction anymore. I think we learned so much in post-2020 of managing teams where intentionality needed to be brought into the picture. You really needed to be intentional to meet with your team members give them feedback, check in just to know how everyone was doing. And with that, gives you the opportunity to say, you know, we can talk about how you're performing right now as well. Maybe that was lost in the fully in-office culture. I'm on the office floor. I could see everybody. They're fine. We'll check in periodically. Now you're checking in with team members more frequently. And with that, you can give them feedback where that end of year performance review really becomes just a a way, as you said, Jason, to summarize Uh, And maybe even just use that time to set your future goals as opposed to looking back on how you performed. Yeah, the performance review really needs to be a prelude to a development planning discussion, meaning, you know, I'm happy with you. And here's what we're doing to develop you for the organization. Here's how we're training you. Here's how we're going to get you to your next promo. Here's how we're going to get you more experience. And, And that's really what it should be. Look, I'm a firm believer of, hey, if you have a significant other, you know, how you're performing with the significant other, meaning you know yeah. your significant other is unhappy with you or happy with you. They're giving you real-time feedback. Do that at work as well, too. And we spend a lot more time sometimes with people at work than we do with our significant others. So we have to get really good at this to be able to create that kind of relationship and space to have those conversations. And I think that the whole thing of getting good feedback to be able to develop people is the right thing because that's what people want. If you look at any of the retention surveys or anything that's going on as it relates to retention or people's happiness at work, most of it revolves around, I want to be trained. I want to get better at what I'm doing. I want to have more knowledge. I want to have more skills. And it comes from the workers who saw their parents being laid off and let go and their skills not keeping up with what was going on in industry. And so workforce right now demands that they be trained. And if you are not doing that, you're not going to have the kind of retention that you want. You have to do that. It's critical. So well said. And I think there's been such a huge emphasis, especially this past year, put on upskilling, on training, and that being a crucial part of the employee experience. And that's where these more periodical check-ins can be advantageous, can be used to talk about how do you make the employees better as opposed to how you performed. As you stated, looking at significant others, you know in real time how you're doing there. And I would encourage, again, anyone listening there who may be going through their year-end review process, maybe rethink that going into 2024. There are new approaches. There are better ways to engage your management team to really provide that feedback in the new year. And I think what better way is you're starting off 2024 with some New Year's resolutions to look at processes and see maybe what needs to be tweaked and what can be done differently with the tools we have at our fingertips. And again, technology and access to data couldn't be better than it is today. So engage with that and create that culture of immediate feedback, whether it's employee to employer or employer management to the employees. Yeah, and if you're an employee, ask your boss, how am I doing? If you're an employee, say, I want a development plan, ask for these things. You know, it's not solely up to the manager to initiate. You as the person that it's benefiting has to initiate as well. 
Couldn't say it better there, Jason. Now, I called out this stat earlier, and this is another piece that I wanted to look at, calling back to the trends that you and Ray provided to HR Daily Advisor. It's that stat that over 90% of companies are aiming to return to office by 2024. Really staggering stat that we saw. And it comes from Resume Builder, a recent report that was done. How do you see that impacting cultural energy and engagement of employees going into 2024? Will return to office boost or really threat engagement? And to be really honest with you, I'm not buying that 90%. Because I think that there are a lot of companies that have seen that offering a remote or a strong hybrid work environment is really good for their ability to attract talent that they wouldn't necessarily have been able to hire had they not had this. Because if you're upset with, you know, Google or Salesforce or somebody else, you know, trying to force you back into the office or Citibank or whoever it is, and you're a smaller firm and you're able to dangle, hey, you know, we can do remote, we could do hybrid. I think that there's a lot of people that potentially have um, been interested in getting out of those positions and going into a job um, that offers that. And the other thing, you know, to actually, you know, answer your questions, I think it's horrible. I mean, it is basically setting up a huge argument and a bunch of angst between employees and employers. And there's no way that you can tell me that people want to go back into the office. They just don't want to go back in the office. They don't, they, they, we've shown that you don't have to. It's very demoralizing for people and it's a disincentive to have to go back into the office. You know, people who are on hybrid work schedules, they talk about the fact that like Monday is their most depressing day because they have to think about I'm going into the office, fighting the commute, packing a lunch, maybe getting on the train, well, walking to work once they get off the train, bundling up, thinking about how they're going to get home to the kids. And then, you know, on Tuesday, maybe Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, they work from home. Their complete demeanor and attitude changes. And then a Friday, if they have to come in, it's the same thing over and over again. They have to do the same drudgery. And I just think that those companies that are forcing employees back in have really missed what's happening in this uh, return to office debate. I don't think you can force people in. I think you have to put some sort of hybrid model together that works for both the management and the organization. Yeah, there needs to be some intentionality with why you're bringing employees in and a feeling of purpose too. Like, here's why I'm coming in and I'm doing it for a good reason. Whether it's, hey, we're coming in together because we're having a team building opportunity or an important meeting that needs us all in person together where there's true value and it feels worthwhile. But I think it's very difficult for some employees to see, hey, we've been able to do just fine over the last three years shifting to remote work to then all of a sudden shift to find a new normal and it becomes disruptive. I think it's very difficult and creates that massive gap between employers and employees that look in the media seat that I'm currently in being fortunate to be a remote worker myself, but having previously had a career in office, it would be tough to go back. And I, that's a common feeling for a lot of employees. And it's really going to be interesting to see how engagement gets impacted. Well, I think people get upset when they come into the office and they're basically doing a Zoom meeting in the office or they're emailing people from the office. And there's absolutely no difference between what they're doing in the office as to what they're doing at home. That just really makes people upset. 
So if you want to bring people back into the office, it needs to be that we're going to have a meeting that you're going to be part of. We're going to have a group lunch that you're going to be part of. We're going to have structured approaches to when people are all back in the office, that they're doing things that bring people together and make the bonds and make that collaboration, which everybody talks about, oh, it's about collaboration. Then really stress collaboration, get people to really collaborate, you know, not just sit in the cafeteria and work on their computer. And that's what you really have to do is put those structured processes in place. And we've told a lot of CEOs, you're going to bring people in just to bring people in because you want to count widgets. And you like the fact that people who make widgets in the office, you like those widgets better than the widgets that are made at home. You don't know the widgets at home may be better Then fine. Do that, but, you know, make it so that it's a, there's a reason for them to come in. And one of the things that I've seen in this debate is it's really financial services and it's finance and accounting departments that really struggle with not having people in the office. It's really hard for them to not break the model of, okay, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to count, you know, who's here, who's not here, what's happening. And so that really forces a lot of things, I think, throughout the rest of the organization. I think the challenge, too, is owning business space, right? You've got so many organizations that have campuses or have buildings with leasing or they own outright their business space that was built to accommodate, in some cases, thousands of employees. And then you can look around and maybe see a few hundred. That's a hard reality to look at, especially as you're looking at that bottom line and saying, okay, overhead costs doesn't really seem to match here. What's the solution? And return to office at times may be the easy solution. Say, well, let's bring everybody back. But I'm curious to see what the long-term ramifications of that are with some of these larger organizations. And we've seen it already that are putting mandates in place and seeing backlash. We know I also used to manage real estate and facilities. And so one of the things that I think that you'll see when some of these office spaces are starting to fall off and for those that are not owned, when those leases start to potentially end, I think what you'll see is a lot more space being given up. And then you'll see the more work from home start to happen because now there's no longer a need to feel bad that, like you said, you have this overhead on the books and the board is saying, hey, look, we're spending money on all this overhead. Everybody's working from home. You have to drive everybody in so that the board doesn't question those numbers. But when you don't have those numbers to have to deal with, I think we're going to see more and more people head back home. I'm looking forward to seeing how that all plays out within the workforce. Because again, 2023, I thought we had it all figured out. It seemed to be on track, but by no means have we figured it out yet. No, they always change. It's wild. I mean, at the same time, I think of, and it was a similar report. I think CNBC reported 80% of employers who brought teams back and returned to office, felt they did it too quickly and that they would have done it differently going forward. So I think you're seeing the pendulum swinging back and forth. And I'd be really curious to see where we land in this coming year. Absolutely. Now, with that being said, Jason, we've already kind of delved into some predictions here, but we're having this opportunity at the end of 2023 going into 2024. Let's make some predictions here. So if you had to make one safe prediction and one bold prediction for HR teams and the workforce in 2024, what would it be? You have to get on board with at least understanding how AI is going to impact HR. I'm not saying you have to implement anything. I'm not saying you have to buy a tool. I'm not saying you need to understand how generative AI works. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying that you need to think about what AI is doing to the landscape of HR. And 
I've gone around the country and what I've told people is, look, imagine the CEO calls you and says, hey, Josh, tell me a little bit about how you think AI is going to impact HR and what do you think we should do about it? And your answer with all the things going on in AI is, well, geez, I don't know, boss, I don't have an idea. I don't really know. You know, you can't do that. You need to have done some homework about how AI is going to impact the function so that you can talk intelligently about it. So what I tell people all the time is that, look, there were a bunch of CIOs when the cloud came along and they said, oh my gosh, nobody's ever going to want to start all this stuff in the cloud. How stupid is that? Everybody wants to be on-prem. Josh, we're going to be on-prem. And wow, what happened? We went to cloud and what happened to all those CIOs that said need to be on-prem? Hey, they're not CIOs anymore, right? So you need to be ready to be able to understand how it's going to impact your organization. So like I said, you don't have to implement anything. You don't have to be a generative AI expert, but you need to know how this is going to you know, directly into anything you don't have to be expert but you need to know how this is going to directly impact what you're doing as a function and also you don't want to end up in a situation where the other teams like it and ops and engineering all of a sudden start making a decision for all of the ai tools that you're using and then you find out that well there's actually some cool ai tools that hr could have had that we weren't a part of because we were really out of the loop on the decision making so for me that's my big bet is you got to be involved with AI for HR for this year. You have to do it. I love it. Do you have a long shot bet? I think we're really going to see a change as it relates to ageism in the workplace. I think that we're going to really start to see that companies are really interested in potentially talking to workers that are more seasoned and bringing them back. Companies are beginning to see the value in people that they traditionally thought were, you know, legacy employees. And if you were a legacy employee, eh, that wasn't a great term for you. You were probably going to be there very long. So I think we're going to see a number of things happen as it relates to older employees in the workforce that might be more positive than we've seen in the past. And then the other one is I think we're probably going to see hiring turn on at some point a lot quicker than people think. I know we're in this, well, we don't know when people are going to be, you know, hiring yet. I think we're going to see something happen in the next four to five months where hiring is going to click up again and we're going to be off and running. Yeah, sounds like that'll be a big wave that comes through, which could be very exciting. So here's what we'll do, Jason, with that one. Because those are bold predictions, we're not going to hold you to it if it doesn't come true. But if they do come true, we heard it here first. You can stake your claim on that one. Oh, I put my flag in the sand and say I, I was right. Beautiful. Well, thank you for those. And again, uh, we're here with Jason Walker, fractional CPO and co-founder of Thrive HR Consulting. Jason, thank you again just for digging into both future trends that we can look forward to in 2024, but looking back at the year that was in 2023. Now, looking back again at your career, is there something you've learned about yourself recently? Maybe it's over the past year or past couple of years that you feel has made you into a better people leader? You know, I always am a harsh critic of myself, but for me, and it's probably the most cliche thing that you know, anyone can say, but it's really about, I want people to work in an atmosphere that I would want to work in. I want to be treated in a way 
that makes me feel like I'm being trusted, that I'm respected for the work that I do, that people want me in their organization. And that's how I like to lead people where they feel the same way. And I've always tried to do that. And I've always tried to lead in that direction. And for me, I do have to say that I'm always will get an email or a phone call from somebody who said, I just want to let you know, I worked for you 10 years ago. And you're still the best boss I ever had. And, you know, I worked for you five years ago and you helped me become a director and nobody else ever did that for me. So I think that being able to manage people like that and then help them get ahead and train them and develop them is really important to me. And so that's how I like to roll. And that's how I manage people. And because I worked in brutal environments where you were screamed at, yelled at, demeaned, and life's too short. Yeah. You know, that's just not how people want to be managed. I love it. Thank you for sharing that, Jason. That's something that I encourage even with team members, direct reports of mine who I get to manage. And, and I let them know, look, take note of all the managers that you've had in your life and you can learn from that. Learn what your management style is that works for you and take bits and pieces and figure out how you want to manage. It seems like you've done that as well, where you really saw what resonates and appreciation is such a great way to build that investment and really make people want to be there. Create an environment. And it's not always about the money. It's not about that you paid somebody the best. It's about that you, know, you created an environment and an atmosphere and you helped them get ahead and you helped them feel better about their job and made them want to be there that makes them stay. And that's what it's all about. Yeah, totally. And with that, Jason, one question we also love to ask our guests here with HR Works is built around advice. And I love this idea of being able to pay it forward. So if you had any advice that you've leaned on throughout your career that has really helped you do all the great things you've done in HR that you could pass along to our audience of HR professionals or recruiting professionals? Um, I'm a dyslexic. And so for me, certain things are really hard. And I've always had to just keep going. People would say read things to me about, and, wow, you're not very smart. Or, oh my gosh, that was a really different thought. Or they would diminish me because of my disability. And that's cool. I totally understand why you would do that, especially when I was younger, but I've just learned to fight through things. I've learned to not let people who are negative stand in my way. I've learned to not let people who were critical stand in my way. Now, look, I listen to their feedback. We talked about feedback. I always listen to it and you can make a decision. You can accept feedback or you can not accept feedback. A lot of feedback I've accepted, but there's also been feedback when I didn't accept because I just knew it wasn't the right feedback. So my point is, don't get discouraged. If you have an idea, know you want to do something, put a plan together and get there and make it happen. You know, when I was starting this business, I interviewed with a number of different, very, very high level consulting firms. And so I said, Hey, I'd like to be a consultant for you. I think it could add a lot of value. And I had a number and said, yeah, we won't even give you a phone screen because you've never been a consultant before. So we're not interested. So I went out and I built my own firm and we've been very successful. And that was actually a blessing. But if you have an idea, if you have a vision, just go for it. Make it happen. Don't listen to the naysayers and just do it. And don't be distracted by the criticism. Make it happen for yourself. That's what I would tell people. That is awesome. Thank you for sharing that, Jason. Look, the initial criticism you might have received, that was not cool. But what's cool is that you've been able to do something with that. Use that feedback as fuel to really persevere and find that success. So thank you for sharing that with our audience here. I really love that, Jason. So thank you. Now, again, we're here with Jason Walker, fractional CPO and co-founder of Thrive HR Consulting. Jason, you mentioned Thrive HR. Let's dig in a bit more there before we wrap up. 
for our audience. Why don't you share just something you're excited about and any ways to get in touch with you and your team at Thrive HR Consulting? Anything you want to plug, feel free. Now's your time. You and I were talking before the show. We do a podcast LinkedIn Live show every Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. Central Time. So if you ever get a chance, log on to that. It's also available on our YouTube channel and it's also available on Spotify if you ever want to hear our podcast. We also have a number of articles that we've been featured in this last year. We've been in the Washington Post, we've been in Forbes, we've been in Fortune. So if you want to take a look at some of the articles that we've contributed to and interviews that we've been a part of, you can go to our website at Thrive HR Consulting and take a look at that. And we speak all over the country. So if you are going to any HR shows or HR symposiums, take a look, see if we're on the agenda. We'd love to have you come in and hear our sessions. And so if you want to get a hold of me, you can reach me at Jason at ThriveHRConsulting.com. And I'm always available for questions or to kick something around or to help somebody out or whatever you may need. I'm very accessible and I'll work with you on anything you need some assistance with. That is perfect. And we'll provide links to all that great content and those touch points through our post on hrdailyadvisor.com as well. Make it nice and easy to get in touch with Jason and his team. But Jason, again, thank you so much for sharing that. So again, we're here with Jason Walker, Fractional Chief People Officer and co-founder of Thrive HR Consulting. Jason, thank you so much for joining the HR Works Podcast. Now, before we let you go, I do ask a bonus question for all of our guests. And this one is meant to be off the cuff. I don't give it to you in advance because I want that really raw answer. It's built around motivation. So you wake up in the morning and your feet hit the floor. What is that one thing that gets you motivated to start your day? What's the one thing that gets me motivated to start my day? Well, yeah, that was different when I was younger. When I was single, it was I just wanted to be the best and I wanted to work super hard and I wanted to prove myself that I could get to where I wanted to go. And so that was my motivation. But when I get older, now that I have kids and a wife, I'm motivated for them. That makes a big difference for me. That'll do it. That's a great motivator. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that, Jason. So again, Jason Walker of Thrive HR Consulting. Thank you so much for joining the HR Works Podcast. It was a pleasure getting to connect with you, getting to chat a bit, both about the article that you and Ray contributed to HR Daily Advisor, looking at those 2024 trends, but really getting to share your story as well. So hopefully this is a start of our conversations together. I'm hoping we can have more in the future. But again, thank you for the time today and look forward to doing it again soon. Thanks, Josh. That was awesome. I really appreciate it. It was a great conversation. Thanks for inviting me. Pleasure was all mine. Thanks, Jason. Thank you for listening to the HR Works Podcast. Be sure to check out our new episodes every Tuesday. Follow us on all major streaming platforms including iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon Audible.